This morning in our eighth chapter, or our study of the eighth chapter of Romans in this 28th verse, we're going to get through five words today. We're zero in on the five words, to those who love God. And uh, you might think, well, that's not very much to get through in a full message. We still have a good 40 minutes here, and 45 if I really stretch it. But, uh, but in our adult Sunday school class, that is the theme for these 13 weeks that we're in right now, our love for God. That's what it says right there on the cover of our, of our lesson, what it means to love God. So, so we could talk about this a lot. And we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning because it is crucial to understand what it means to love God because as we saw last week, loving God is a condition for being a recipient of the great promise of God here. The great promise of God in verse 28 is God causes all things to work together for good. And there are, then there are two conditions for being a recipient of God's promise. All things work together for good, only works as it were, to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Both of these conditions have to be met in our lives for all things to work together for good. Now, also, both of these conditions have tremendous implications when it comes to our relationship with God. One of them views our relationship with God from our side, and the other views our relationship with God from his side. On the one hand, we love God. On the other hand, he called us. And so our eternal relationship with God, our eternal security that God will bring all things to perfection is caught up in these two statements. The promise of eternal security is to those who love God and to those who are called of God. Now you can say that these two also sum up the wonderful truth of who we are in Christ. Our, our identity in Christ is summed up in these. It sums up our entire relationship with God. We are the called who love God. Now in the Bible, God's people are described in many ways in the Bible, but none are as all-encompassing or encapsulating what we have here in Romans chapter 8.28. As you know, in the Bible, God's people are described as his children. That's the favorite of many Christians. They are described as his sheep, his flock. I think that was the first sermon series I did after coming to Grace Baptist Church was on John chapter 10, 23rd Psalm and John chapter 10. We are the sheep of his pasture. Uh, we're described as his sons, his children. Uh, we're described as the church as his bride, the beloved. We are called his church. We're described as believers. We're described as true worshipers. We are, we are saints. We are Christians. We are followers of the way. But no designation, designation of believers is more indicative than the character of the believer as they are described and defined as those who love God the people who love God. That's summing it up as simply as it can be summed up. For those who love God, God is causing all things <clears throat> excuse me, to work together for good. And so the recipients, the recipients of God's great promise, I think I called it the, the greatest promise in the outline, are those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love God? So we're going to look at several scripture passages that explain what it means to be those who love God. So I was thinking about this. I don't know how many of you grew up in Sunday school or, or in church as a child, and you did Bible drills. Whoever finds the passage first, then, then you get to read it. 
And the ones who didn't like to read, they never found the passage. So we had to figure out a way to get them involved. And so you might be thinking, we're going to do something of a Bible drill this morning. And just so you know what the pastor does, I got little tabs on most of mine <laughs> this morning. So so I don't get lost. If I get lost, uh, well, anyway, there we go. But uh, But as we look at all these scripture passages we're going to look at this morning, and we talk about them, you're, you might start to think, this is an impossible standard. I don't have what it takes to love God this way. I just don't think I can do that. And you know, you'd be exactly right. In your humanness, you don't have what it takes to love God. But in Christ, as a believer in whom the Holy Spirit lives, it's a completely different thing. And so there are two things we need to know right off the top. We'll talk about two things we need to know right off the top. And then we're going to look at a lot of scripture passages that I've called the marks of love for God. In other words, this is what it looks like. These will be the distinguishing marks, the indicators that distinguish the believer in Jesus Christ who loves God. But first of all, we need to know a couple things right off the top. And we need to know right off the top that we are capable of this kind of love for God only because God loved us first. That's that familiar verse in, in John's first epistle, the fourth chapter, the 19th verse. You don't need to turn to this one. You know it. We love, why? Because he first loved us. God took the divine initiative. God took the initiative to do what we could never do for ourselves. In our fallen human nature, we have absolutely no capacity to love God or to love anybody else, especially in the way that God loves or that God requires or to love God at all. Back in Romans chapter 1, verse 30, you don't need to turn to this one. I'll let you know when the Bible drill starts. We saw that those who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator are called haters of God, haters of God. Or to put it another way, there are only two kinds of people in this world. There are those who love God and there are those who hate God. And unbelievers don't think, well, I don't hate God. Of course not. But according to Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, the first of the Ten Commandments, don't need to turn to it yet. Anyone who does not worship the living and true God, anyone who does not worship the living and true God is said to hate God. That's right in the Ten Commandments. But, but, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in while we were yet sinners. Put another way, in while we were yet God-haters, Christ died for us. And a marvelous thing happens when we respond to the love of God. When we receive Jesus Christ and we trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins, God's Holy Spirit comes to live in us and through us. And at that moment we receive Jesus Christ, God pours his love into us. And the second thing we need to know right off the top is just that. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts. So this time you can turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. A lot of these scriptures, passages I've grouped together, so we'll stay in the Psalms for a while or stay in 1 John for a while. We'll see if that works. <laughs> Romans chapter 5, verse 5. 
In the fifth chapter of Romans, Paul is talking about the results of our justification. For example, since we are justified by faith, Paul writes, we have peace with God. God is no longer our enemy. We are no longer haters of God. He also says we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And then in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says a tremendous thing about this hope. He says, verse 5 of the fifth chapter, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you, when you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, the love of God was poured out within your heart. When you receive Jesus Christ for salvation, you enter into a spiritual love relationship with God that's going to last for all eternity. I like that phrase, poured out, poured out into our hearts, because poured out here refers to the lavish outpouring to the point of overflowing. Someone has said, our Heavenly Father does not proffer His love in measured drops, but in immeasurable torrents. All the love of God, all the love that God has for us is lavishly poured out within your heart when you receive Jesus Christ. But it is only because of the indwelling Spirit of God that we as His children are able to truly love God or to love someone else in the way that God loves. Remember, speaking to His disciples about the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, He who believes in me as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living waters. The rivers of blessing can flow out of believers only because the divine rivers of blessing have been poured in. He poured in one of those blessings, his divine love. And then it flows out of us. You know, there's a practical application at this point. Because we all have difficult people in our lives that are hard to love, Right? They're hard to like, let alone love. <laughs> and, you know, and we want to pray, God, give me more love for that person. Help me to love that person more and at all. You know, you don't need more love. You see, by the way of the Holy Spirit, you have the lavish, outflowing or overflowing love of God within you. You don't need to pray for more love. You need to pray for God to help you let it out. Because you have the love of God in you. And it's, it's overflowing, it's lavish, you know, so we can love that person as God has loved us. By way of the Holy Spirit, we as believers have a new capacity to love, to love as God loves, as Christ has loved. So with those two things at the top, we love because God first loved us and the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. We're ready to come to the marks of love. And I want us to look at several scripture passages of that describe what loving God looks like. These are the spiritual indicators, the spiritual marks that distinguish the lovers of God from the haters of God. What do we look for? What do we look for for evidences of the love for God? First of all, lovers of God are caught up in worshiping God. Caught up in worshiping God. So please turn to the 18th Psalm. Psalm 18, the first verse. The 18th Psalm, the first verse. And you notice I'm not giving you page numbers today because this is a Bible drill, okay? <laughs> In the 18th Psalm, David is giving God praise for his deliverance from all his enemies. 
And he had a lot of enemies, and he, the hand of Saul, you know, Saul just wanted to kill David, and, and he was running for Saul for a major portion of his life. And, and he says in verse 1 of the 18th Psalm, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Sounds familiar, we read this for our call to worship this morning. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You know, I, I just picture in my mind what, what that looks like because I like history. I like military history. And I like dramatic shows that talk about historical things and, and just start to picture the fortress, the rock, the shield, the, the horn of salvation. Horn means the strength, the authority of salvation. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. And here we see David has a love for God that is caught up in worship. David is consumed in worship. To say you love God and be indifferent to worship is to betray the claim that you love God. Love for God is a love that meditates on God's glory. It's a love that was in the heart of David the psalmist here repeatedly when he expressed his love for God by reciting all these attributes of God that were so wondrous to him that God would be a rock, a fortress, a deliverer, a rock, he says it twice, in whom he takes refuge, a shield, a horn of salvation, his stronghold. And so David found his single greatest joy in all of life in worship and praise in adoring God. His greatest joy in life beyond all others is to worship, praise, and adore God whom he loves. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. It's a love that says, I was glad. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. To love God is to put him first. The number one commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It's an undivided love. God is our priority. We love God with all our heart, souls, minds, and strength. When we do that, we're not going to allow other things to crowd in and divert us. Secondly, lovers of God seek communion with God. Seek communion with God. So while we're still in the Psalms, turn to the 63rd Psalm. Psalm 63 at verse 1, the 63rd Psalm, the, the first verse. And here we can tell if we love God basically by whether or not you have any interest in his fellowship, any interest in being with him. I think of it this way. If I said I love my wife and really don't want her companionship, <laughs> really don't want her around, then I don't love her. What do we do when we love somebody? We want to be with them. We want to get to know them. We want to know about them. If you said you love somebody, you could certainly prove it easily enough if you sought their companionship. And so in Psalm 63, verse 1, again, a Psalm of David, O oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your glory and your power because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips 
will praise you. Here again, we see that the psalmist David went to the place of worship. He went there all the time. He couldn't be kept away from it. He wanted to be in the place of worship where he could be near to God. He wanted to be in God's presence. He wanted to commune with God. He was a man who longed for fellowship with God, who loves worship, who seeks communion with God, who finds himself drawn to the place of prayer, drawn into intimacy in the presence of God. And if you turn back just a few pages to the 42nd Psalm, Psalm 42, verse 1. Psalm 42, the first verse. Psalm 42 is put to music as one of our favorites around here, right? Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When can I do this? And this, David wrote this when he was running from Saul. He was in exile. He was out in the desert, the Judean wilderness. And he's crying out, God, when can I come into your presence in worship? Lovers of God seek communion with God. And they are passionate and diligent in their desire. Thirdly, lovers of God trust in God's power. They trust in God's power. It's a love that trusts in God's power. So as long as we're in the Psalms, go back to the 31st Psalm. Psalm 31, the 23rd verse. They trust in God's power. And here again, the psalmist says, Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly, one, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. The psalmist here knows that life is going to have its ups and downs. There's going to be really good times. There's going to be really bad things if we put it in the context of the New Testament the psalmist knows that all things work together for good to those who love God, but life is going to have its trials. There's going to be areas of suffering. There's going to be pain. There's disappointment. But in all of this, he says, love the Lord. We love the Lord and we trust God in this love that he's going to preserve the faithful. He's going to take care of those who are his and he's going to recompense the wicked. He's going to recompense the wicked. The wicked will always get what's coming to them. Always. So we can be strong. We can take courage. We can trust in the Lord. It's a love that trusts in his power. And fourthly, lovers of God love what God loves. They love what God loves. Now from the negative... We can't claim to love God if we are filled with the love for the world, right? And, and so of this, we go over to John's first letter, 1 John. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Lovers of God love the things and the people that God loves. And so this is what John said in, in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 15. 
Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. From the negative, if we love the world and the things of the world, whoever does that, the love of God does not dwell in them. Now, from the positive, if we love God, we're going to love the things that God loves. We're going to love the things that God loves. And there's a lot of things that that God loves that we could look at. You know, how many times did the psalmist say, oh, how I love thy law. If we love God, we're going to love what he says. And God likes what he says, loves what he says, right? That's why why he said there's a lot of things that God loves that we could look at and say, if we love God, we also love that. And I'm only going to mention here what might be the toughest one to love. If we love God and love what God loves, we are going to love those who love God, right? Right? I think of that little ditty that I've said before. To live above with saints above. With no, let me start. To live above with saints we love. Oh, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know. Well, that's another story. (laughs) But if we really love God, then we're really going to love God's people. We're really going to love them. And when you love God's people, what you want to be around them. You want to be with them. And we said that's what love is. We want to get to know them. We want to know about God's people. Like we said, if you said you love somebody, you could certainly prove it easily enough if you sought their companionship. And yet people will say today in our world, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I really don't have any interest in church. I I go once in a while. These people have a real problem because apparently they don't have that driving compelling affection for God's people. So while you're in John, 1 John, turn over to chapter 5. There is a method to this this morning. Trying to, I really tried hard to group these together. So we're still in 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. 1 John chapter 5, the first verse. If you love the Father, you'll love his children. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. If you love the father, you're going to love God's children. When you set your love on someone, you love those who belong to that someone. Jesus said it this way in the 13th chapter of John. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And he said to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Love for one another is a mark of discipleship. It's also a mark of our love for God. And then fifthly, and I could have picked a sixthly and a seventhly and an eighthly and maybe thirtiethly. (laughs) Lovers of God long for Christ's return. Long for Christ's return. How, how great it was the Thomas family sang the song <laughs> that they sang this morning. How God takes all these things and works them together because we long for Christ's return if we love Christ. It certainly goes along with wanting to be with someone we love. Love longs for an intimacy. It longs for the closest, sweetest fellowship. And that's, that's why someone who truly loves the Lord is going to long for his return. 
Turn over to Paul's second letter to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, the sixth verse. The sixth verse of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And in this fourth chapter of, of 2 Timothy, we find the aged, worn-out apostle in prison writing to Timothy for the second time from a prison cell. It's right before the Apostle Paul's death. And we pick up Paul's admonitions to Timothy in verse 6 of this fourth chapter, where he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Loved his appearing. If you love Jesus, you cherish the thought of his appearing. In his incarnation, when God the Son took on human flesh, that great event that we just celebrated a few weeks ago, Christ appeared on earth to be a sacrifice for our sins. Following his ascension, he appeared in heaven where he makes intercession for us. And according to Acts chapter 1, verse 11, in the future, this same Jesus is going to appear in majesty and glory. Those who love Christ now as their Savior, who first appeared to die for our sins, and now appears in heaven to intercede for us, Look forward lovingly, lovingly with love, if that's an oxymoron, to his final appearing when he will come. And perhaps the most important question is, do you love the Christ who will appear? You know, we can make eschatology, the doctrine of last things, way too scary. (laughs) You know, because it needs to be, and God intends it to be, that it will focus our heart and our love on the one who is coming again. You know, sometimes we can get caught up in in trying to puzzle out the details of Christ's return. Rather than keeping our heart focused on the Lord, whom we love, who is going to return. You know, it's not really that important which view of the rapture we actually hold of when he when he is coming because the bible's teaching is not given to us to make us theological detectives but the bible's teaching are intended to increase our sense of god's majesty his glory where our soul magnifies the lord our our soul magnifies god's glory his majesty and his worthiness to be praised and call us to unreserved devotion to him. Now, for the unbeliever, eschatology is scary, right? So don't get me, get me wrong there. And we are to be ready. We are to be prepared. But our love for Christ who is coming again puts that into the, the context of which, even so, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. And that brings us to the last mark. Lovers of God obey the Lord's commands. Lovers of God have unreserved devotion to Him. You see, obeying His commands is the result of our loving devotion to Him. 
This is the one thing that really sums up what it means to love God. Loving the Lord means obeying what he has commanded us. And we see this in John's gospel. John chapter 14, verse 16. 14th chapter of John, the 16th verse. I think this is the last one I'll actually have, turn, have you turn to. In the 14th chapter of John, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples the night before he went to the cross. He says, where I am going, disciples, you cannot come. And this just sent them into a, a torrent of grief and, and panic, really. You know, where Philip cries out, Lord, just tell us where you're going, you know. And, and Jesus said, have I been so long with you? <laughs> you know, and, uh, and in all of this, he's comforting them, he's strengthening, but he's making a, a tremendous promise. And so beginning in verse 16 of this 14th chapter, Jesus gives the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to begin with verse 16 with this promise because it brings everything to full circle that we've been talking about this morning. When the Holy Spirit indwells us at conversion, the love of God is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So Jesus says, disciples, in verse 16 of John chapter 14, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because they not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. And then here is the most compelling passage of Scripture in God's Word on what it means to love God. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. How do you know that you love God? You have a desire to obey his word. Obedience is the hallmark of genuine saving faith and love for God. Those who are truly saved by grace alone will invariably respond with a life of submission and service and obedience. Does it mean we always get it right? Of course not. <laughs> but we have that, our love for God that compels us that this is what I want to do. I want to obey, obey God. With their hearts regenerated and their minds renewed, genuine Christians cannot help but outwardly reflect who they are on the inside. New creatures in Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle John emphasized that inseparable link between love and obedience. And he said this in his first epistle. You don't need to turn to these. By this we know that we have come to know him. How do we know we've come to know him? If we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. And then 1 John 3.24, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. Then 1 John 5, 2 through 3. By this do we know that the, we love the children of God when we love God and observe his 
commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Oh, really? (laughs) Why aren't the commandments burdensome? Everything that we've looked at this morning, why is that not a burden? Because if we love God, we love Jesus, we will love others, and we will want to serve them, we'll want to serve God, and we will want to serve others through the Holy Spirit out of love, the motivation, the desire is put into our hearts. And so in this sense, the inclination is to love God others we don't always get it right and we have to go before God and we have to pray really hard to pour out love on certain certain people but that is going to be our inclination God show me give me take me to that place where I can love them and then the commandments are not burdensome because it's the inevitable result of being indwelt and filled by the Holy Spirit God gives us his Holy Spirit where we can do this. Obedience flowing from a heart that's transformed by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit marks the one who truly loves Jesus Christ. And such obedient love is the outworking of the love that the Holy Spirit pours into our heart at salvation. Shall we pray? Father, we do thank you that what we cannot do for ourselves, you did for us beginning with salvation through your grace. And Father, we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit poured out lavishly within us, the rivers of living water, Father, that that can come out of us, that we can pour on to others. But Father, we just need to pause here and, and think once again about your love. We thank you, God that you demonstrated your love towards us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you for the love of God that was displayed on the cross of Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for that love that's not an earthly kind of love, but it's the kind of love that does not give up. Father, we thank you that your love is an everlasting love. And your love is going to carry us into eternity through Jesus Christ and by your Holy Spirit, Lord, where we will live in your loving presence as your children, as your church, as the bride of Christ, as sons and daughters of God, as those who love God. And we give you thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen.